This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. In the fight against COVID-19, we are grateful to those treating the disease, but there are others too. At the bedside and in the hallway, in the store and on the bus, from the delivery route to the mailbox, they're doing their part to keep our region running. These aren't just essential workers, they are our family, friends, and neighbors. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamut and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Our focus this month is on wellness, which begins with primary care or the contact with a physician or provider who coordinates all of your medical care, what some might call the gatekeeper. We started the month with pediatrics and why it's so important for children and teens to have routine well visits and vaccinations. Last week, we learned about the comprehensive care provided by family doctors to people of all ages, sometimes two to three generations of the same family. Today, we'll hear about the distinction between internal medicine and family medicine. We'll also talk about the importance of an annual physical and the guidelines and internist references for those visits. Our very special guest is Dr. Jack Endy, Schaefer Professor of Medicine from the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania and the Associate Dean for Advanced Medical Practice. He is nationally, internationally recognized as an outstanding general internist with superb diagnostic skills and a highly respected educator with many awards to his credit. For 17 years, he served as Chief of Medicine at Penn Presbyterian and is an inaugural member of Penn Medicine's Academy of Master Clinicians. He has also held the prestigious position as the president of the international organization known as the American College of Physicians, the largest specialty organization in medicine with over 150,000 members. He has dedicated his career to healing the sick and through publications, lectures, and bedside teaching, he has taught the art form to others. Welcome, Jack. It's so special to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Marianne. It's an honor to be with you. So let's begin by defining internal medicine. Who are internists? That's a wonderful question, and it really does warrant our attention. I think it can be summarized as internists are doctors for adults. They are expert diagnosticians, but they're also skilled in disease management, prevention of disease and its complications, and also health promotion. The specialty of internal medicine includes all of the subspecialties, general medicine, of course, and we'll be spending, I believe, 
a good deal of time talking about general medicine and primary care, but also the subspecialties, cardiology, gastroenterology, your special subspecialty, mm-hmm. pulmonary infectious disease, and so forth. All of these wonderful physicians are internists. They've all been trained for three years in internal medicine, and then those who've chosen to go into subspecialties do additional training. So that, as a treetops view, is what internal medicine is. So as you mentioned, an adult uh, seeking primary care or looking for that air traffic controller to coordinate all their care can be seen by a family medicine doctor or an internist. How would you describe the differences between the two choices? Well, there, there are differences, but there are also real similarities. They are um, foot soldiers, both internists and family medicine physicians in the f- field of primary care. Uh, internists, however, have different training. They've spent a good deal more time in the hospital. They've spent a good deal more time in intensive care, and they are more comfortable taking care of sicker, more complicated patients than their colleagues in family medicine. Both specialties value the importance of patient-centered care, and, and they have so much in common, but the internist really does distinguish him or herself as being the person who feels comfortable taking care of sicker patients. Mm-hmm. And when you say patient-centered care, what would a listener think about that or understand well, that to mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a very important term, and thank you for... Uh, for bringing it up. Um, There's so much about medicine that can be identified as cookbook. You know, we follow guidelines, we follow rules, we follow um, what we're told is the best evidence, but there's nothing more important than weaving into the medical decisions that are made, the patient's preferences, the patient's priorities, and the the patient's uh, total life. Our, the most famous internist probably Sir William Osler um, is noted as saying, good physicians take care of diseases, great physicians take care of patients with diseases. Mm -hmm. So the focus on the patient is one of the real values of internal medicine. There are other values. As mentioned, the internists really do practice evidence-based medicine rather than do what they think is right. They do their very best to do what has proven to be right. They are focused on high-value care, that is providing tests and diagnostic procedures and medications that really add value and are very wary of driving up costs. As mentioned, they follow guidelines to be sure that there's a consensus of the, of what, of the, for the, in support of the decisions that we make for patients. But as mentioned, uh, they are always focused on the patient. Patient-centered care is extremely important for internists. It's at the core of our beliefs as uh, healers. And I know I should mention to patients, to our listeners again, that as the president of the American College of Physicians, you are considered internationally a master clinician, a, a, a master craftsman, if I may. And you were on the committee that helped to establish the quote-unquote guidelines, or what we as physicians refer to, again, evidence-based medicine. Maybe we could explain that a little more clearly to our listeners, because it means that we look at 
many studies that provide the data and guide us. But as you say, it's not a cookbook. Our judgment enters has a very important role as well because each person, I, I can be called to the emergency room and asked to see 10 different people with belly pain. And one of those uh, people that you referenced, Sir William Osler, the Hippocratic facies, Hippocrates would say, look at the patient. And one person might say to me, I have belly pain, and somebody else might not be might be grimacing, saying it, barely able to say it. Tell us a little bit about evidence-based medicine. Yes, evidence-based medicine um, is a relatively new concept. I think we um, we've only been talking about it for a couple of decades, not as long as we've been talking about medicine per se, and it um, provides the evidence. Rather than having physicians just do what they think is right, what they've always done, or using their intuition, wouldn't it be wonderful these days when we have the literature available to us to really practice based upon what has been proven to be right? Proof is difficult. It often takes things like randomized controlled trials and large studies, but ultimately one can identify the right way and the less right way, if you will, to uh, guide medical decisions. That's evidence-based medicine. Right. So if a large study shows that instead of uh, waiting 10 years to do colonoscopy when somebody has no polyps, if we learn from large studies that, gee, when there's a family history involved, we should look at five years, something like that. That's sort of a, a concrete example uh, when people listen and say, okay, you're looking at studies and so that we don't go rogue. We're going by the roadmap provided by all the good studies we, we have access to. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Jack Endy from Penn Medicine. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back with Dr. Jack Endy. Jack, let's talk about the value of an annual physical. It's come under some discussion and scrutiny. Why do internists such as yourself value the annual exam so much? Well, Marianne, you're absolutely correct. It has come under scrutiny. And when healthcare researchers, when policymakers look at the value of the annual physical, the data are not always strong that in large populations, everybody should get an annual physical. And you know what? Maybe everybody should not be getting an annual physical. But let's talk about the population that I belong to, those over 60. Um, I think there's great value in having an annual checkup. And there are several reasons for that. Um, one is that disease can be silent. One doesn't know if one has hypertension or elevated cholesterol or even sometimes anemia or even depression can be masked, if you will. Um, those are the. If you just wait <clears throat> for symptoms to arise, you'll be getting to your doctor perhaps a bit too late. The other value of the annual uh, exam is that it provides the physician and the patient, always and the patient, with an opportunity to monitor the illness. How are we doing? How does the kidney function test compare now with how they've been in the past? 
it's certainly an opportunity to evaluate new symptoms. And I hope we have a chance to talk about the role and responsibility of the patient to bring those new symptoms forward so that the doctor knows where the focus should lie. And it provides a very convenient opportunity to ensure that uh, the patient is up to date on immunizations, on screening procedures, and we can talk about what the specifics of those are. But preventive medicine is, is crucial. And it's at the annual physical exam where the patient and the doctor are not distracted, if you will, by the acute symptoms, that you could really take a step back and make sure that everything that should be done to keep this patient healthy is, in fact, being done. So very well said, because if somebody comes to you because they have new shoulder pain or swelling or something specific, gee whiz, by the time we analyze that, have we made sure that we've caught up with all the um, other points of interest uh, and, and importance, as you say, uh, Sorry about that. Routine blood tests to make sure your thyroid isn't too fast or too slow or that your blood count isn't dipping because you're taking aspirin and you're trickling blood from a, a stomach irritation. Um, so what exactly happens, let's share with our listeners, what happens at a routine visit? Well, um, a lot goes on. Mm-hmm. It actually begins before the patient even, even arises because it's always very helpful for the patient to give some thought to the upcoming checkup and perhaps even write down a list of the things that he or she wants to be sure are covered, prioritize that list, and, and that'll get everything off to a good start. But the start of the uh, annual visit really begins with the history. And how should the history be taken? Well, the history really belongs to the patient. Doctors typically ask an open-ended question, like, how have you been recently? How are things going? Tell me how you're feeling. And then shut up and allow the patient to really talk and to express what is most important for him or, or her. That opportunity for the patient to take charge of the first part of the interview is immeasurably important and often will lead to the right diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And History. I think the beauty of the electronic records now is we, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, I'm sorry, Jack, no. that we can click on and say, hey, you saw your cardiologist recently and combine because we uh, are taught as students and residents and then further training that the history is so important. The diagnosis is right there if you listen. As you mentioned, close your mouth and let the person speak and they will they will guide you. They will give you almost the exact diagnosis before you do a CAT scan or any kind of blood test. But we divide the history into parts. The reason you're coming today, if it is a sick visit, but on a well visit, is there anything that stands out that's been bothering you in recent months? And then the past medical history is so important. Sometimes the person's nervous or they forget. So bring that list with you. And then we have the luxury now of dipping into the records and see if they've seen other doctors. Um, don't, Don't have all the records of every hospital where they've visited, but in your system you can. And let's talk a little bit about that, their past medical history, their past surgical history, and the details. Absolutely. All of those uh, add to the complete picture and allow the physician to really get a good sense of how this patient is doing. So we do want to know about their past medical history. 
and their past surgical history. We certainly want to know what medications they're on, not only medications prescribed, but supplements that may not have been prescribed. We also will use the history to update the family medical history. You know, family medical history taken three years ago may not reveal that the patient's father passed away of a heart attack or the patient's twin brother, if you will, developed a cerebral aneurysm. Family history evolves, and it's during the annual physical uh, annual visit that it can be updated. And, and then eventually one uh, surveys all the organ systems, asking about chest pain and breathing problems and gastrointestinal and genitourinary function, musculoskeletal function, and also, Marianne, um, psychiatric wellness. Yes. You know, days we, uh, we rely on... Um, questionnaires and instruments, these amplify and complement the history so that we are sure that we're giving the patient the chance to identify whether he or she does not have a significant depression. Yes. The history will then, yeah. The the whole person, that's what you keep stressing, the whole person, yes. Yep, yep. And then the history will then move on to habits, smoking, drinking, wearing seatbelts, smoke alarms at home, uh, an issue that I've uh, come to include as part of my history, and thanks to the American College of Physicians for underscoring the importance of this, is firearms. Do you have firearms at home? Mm -hmm. And if so, are they locked and kept in a safe place, or are they left around loaded? Things like that are all vital history absolutely well, and if we if we talk about some of the details so people have an understanding let's say i see a woman who has a belly pain and they say well it's not gynecologic i had a total hysterectomy well total hysterectomy means they took your whole uterus it doesn't mean they necessarily took your ovaries so it could be an ovarian cyst an ovarian cancer right. did they take it for cancer reasons or because you had bleeding that was uh, you know dropping your blood count did they take your appendix while they were there? And family history, as you say, it's dynamic, it's constantly evolving. Did your brother have colonoscopy? Oh yeah, but he didn't have cancer. Ah, but did he have colon polyps? Because that changes our advice for you too. And the social history, you bring up so many um, current ideas. I always ask my patients, do you smoke? Nope. What about vaping? Oh yeah, I do that. And people have such a naive understanding vaping just the additives of the flavors can cause lung damage and there are 7,000 flavors that make it so appealing and it's kind of cool to young people. Caffeine, do you drink caffeine? Yeah, well, how much? Well, four or five cups of coffee a day can affect your heart, right? Your GI tract and reflux. Alcohol, as you know, the American Cancer Society now says the maximum that a man should imbibe in a day is two servings of alcohol a day. That doesn't mean two bottles of wine, (laughs) and that's measured, and we tell people that. Uh, One maximum for a woman a day. That doesn't mean if you only drink on Friday, you drink all seven or all 14, right? So all those details that we try to remind, whether they are for a sick visit or an annual healthy visit. And then the other thing you mentioned about medicines, lots of people take supplements because they think they get it from a health food store or it's natural. And I find myself when people say, well, I just take natural uh, supplements and uh, 
So I'll say, does it contain Cascara Senegrata, which is, sounds natural because it's Latin, <laughs> when it's actually Senecat, which can be harmful. And then, as you say, the review of systems. We pride ourselves in going head to toe. Any recent chest pain or shortness of breath when you go up steps? And they might not think to offer that, but because you're going head to toe, uh, you're able to elicit other issues that they might forget to mention. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely correct. I think another one is, do you take any medications from your family members? I used my husband's pills and it really helped my indigestion. Gee whiz, what did they take? And could it interfere with other medicines that they're on? And another one is I think people read and they decide to eliminate gluten from their diet or dietary changes that aren't always safe for them. Great information, Jack. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Jack Endy from Penn Medicine. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Now we've talked about the value of an annual physical exam with your primary care doctor this week about internal medicine. Jack, let's talk about the physical exam and what we can learn from that. Extremely important, Marianne. The um, physical exam is the time-honored tool of the internist. Um, I wish I could say that my junior colleagues and my students are um, as committed to doing an excellent physical exam as were the people of my generation, but we're working on it. And the good news is that students appreciate that this is something they have to learn and it's teaching the physical exam is met with enthusiasm. But we have, we, we do have a ways to go. One of the, um, <clears throat> the important, the physical exam is important for several reasons. Obviously, um, it, it gives the physician a chance to assure that the heart sounds are correct, that the lungs sound and feel and look correct, that the thyroid is normal, that the neurologic function is normal. All of these things should be part of the physical exam. And the important thing is that it does not take that long. A well-done physical exam, an organized physical exam, starting with the hands, feeling for lymph nodes, checking the cranial nerves, feeling the neck, the thyroid, examining the lungs, and this is the order that I do this in, listening to the heart, the abdomen, examining the lower extremities, and completing this with a neurologic exam. It takes but a few minutes, um, but the good news is that it um, gives the physician a real window into several important bodily functions and enables the physician to pick up some important abnormalities. I can think of so many instances in my practice where a patient came um, to me feeling well and I palpated an enlarged spleen. Hmm, what is this about? Turns out he had chronic myelocytic leukemia. Right. Times, times when I listened to a patient's heart, I remember a gentleman who came saying, yeah, Dr. Endy, I got this mild cough, it just won't go away. And in listening to his heart, he had wide open valvular heart disease. One of the valves in his heart was not functioning 
normally, and his lungs were congested as a result, and that was the explanation for the cough. Well, you bring up such an important point, Jack, because during COVID, we learned that uh, telehealth has great value. It's better than nothing. It's At least we can see the person in motion and we can study the, the look on their face or how they're interacting with their surroundings. But I always tell my patients when they say, oh, I'll just telehealth with you. Well, if we're going to go over results and I've already examined you, that's fine. But for the first uh, meeting, um, especially if, if you have belly pain, if I called the mechanic and said my car is making a noise, they're going to say, bring it into the shop. I have to lift the hood and look inside. So like you, while I'm talking to the patient and then continuing just general conversation, I'll start to examine their neck and say, gosh, is their thyroid larger on one side than the other? Um, when I listen to their lungs, does the sound, uh, is it the same on both sides? And the belly exam that you mentioned, the the abdomen, when a person's lying on his or her back and we press on the belly, we can tell if their spleen and or liver enlarged. And just a case in point, one day, oh, oh some time ago, I had several new patients one day. Three of them were young women under the age of 30. And each of them came with the complaint of reflux or, or acid indigestion. And I examined one, her liver was slightly enlarged and we found a familial or hereditary liver issue. Another young woman, again, under age 30, had a tumor, a cancerous tumor on her kidney. And the third one had plain old reflux. So listening and examining made a huge difference for really all three. Am I right? I'm sure you have thousands of stories like that. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. And um, it's, it's important to realize that we're talking here about the annual exam where patients come in, um, <clears throat> you know, requiring and deserving a full checkup, a full evaluation. Telemedicine, as you mentioned, Marianne, may be good for certain things. <clears throat> it's probably a okay for checking in on your patient who has hypertension and you just want to be sure that their blood pressure is okay. Your diabetic who's monitoring her own blood sugars at home and you want to spend some time going over the numbers with them. But you don't, um, you can't examine people or if you can, you can examine them only virtually in, in both senses of the word. And that's really not adequate for the kinds of things that you and I have been talking about. Mm -hmm. So the physical exam is, is key and uh, needs to be done thoroughly in an organized fashion, and it needs to be done well. Sure. And as you say, the routine labs, we can learn so much yep. from basics. Let's talk about that a little bit, maybe a blood count, yeah. chemistry, <clears throat> thyroid. Mm -hmm. So you've taken your history, you've done your physical exam, and now it's time to decide what laboratory tests are appropriate. And here we are, it's the annual checkup. And what's interesting, Marianne, is that one doesn't have to do that much. Uh, here's the value of evidence-based medicine. We know that uh, cholesterol does not have to be checked annually if, if it's normal, unless the patient is on uh, cholesterol-lowering medication. Um, blood counts may not need to be checked every single year for somebody who doesn't have anemia or any cause for anemia. So we use the laboratory test judiciously. We want to be sure that the patient is 
um, not a diabetic, we want to be sure that the liver function and kidney function are okay. But there's not that much laboratory tests that need to be done, unless, of course, the patient has a illness, in which case things are uh, approached in a different fashion. Chest x-rays are no longer considered um, rec- required or beneficial for somebody who's not a smoker, who doesn't have any lung disease, but that's different than somebody who has pulmonary complaints or pulmonary, I should say, lung risk factors. Likewise, the cardiogram. I believe everybody should have an electrocardiogram as a baseline, but it doesn't have to be repeated every year. So mm-hmm. we're using the laboratory tests more sparingly these days, and we, but we're using them, I think, in a much more smart way. Yes. You recall I mentioned this term, high-value care, um, you know, value being benefit divided by cost. We have to be very mindful of the cost of medical care. We should not be doing things that are not associated with evidence-proven benefit. So the laboratory tests are a part of the annual checkup, but they're used judiciously. Mm-hmm. And we should tell our listeners why we check at least one time uh, for hepatitis C exposure. Um, and another thing that has become a surprise in recent years is how many people are low in vitamin D as we learn how valuable a normal level of vitamin D is for so many reasons. Do you want to comment on either of those? Absolutely. And these things, uh, these uh, tests reflect the latest advances in medical care where there are problems associated with low vitamin D, particularly in, in our elderly population. Um, it behooves us to screen for thyroid disease in women at least every couple of years. Um, that's an important laboratory test. And these are all things that um, we now appreciate are important. So it's dynamic, it's ever-changing, um, but I do want to point out that uh, the sort of the full panoply of laboratory tests um, probably is not necessary for every patient every single year. Sure. Well, I think the other benefit of keeping an eye on our patients is vaccines. Let's, because we can talk about screenings for yep. cancers in all of our other shows, but the vaccines are so helpful. And just even the flu vaccine, having our, our listeners know that the best time of year is October to cover you through the whole season. Let's talk about vaccines in our final few minutes here. Absolutely. And there is no better time to be sure your patient is up to date on vaccines than at the annual exam. Mm-hmm. As in the acute exam, the, the one because the patient has shoulder pain or they have congestive heart failure and they, you're, you're focused entirely on that, may not put the doctor in the right mindset, may not an, enable enough time, and the patient may not be thinking of it as well. But it's that annual checkup in which the physician, now aided by the electronic medical record, which uh, catalogs all of this, uh, looks and makes sure that the patient is up to date on vaccines. Everybody should have a flu shot annually. People over 55, the number has, the age has gone down, should, be, uh, should at least consider getting the new shingles vaccine. It's two shots. Um, Tdap. Tetanus diphtheria pertussis is important every 10 years to prevent tetanus, but also if you have a, a, a young infant in your family, if you're a grandparent, you should get a, a Tdap 
before seeing the uh, infant. Um, we want to be sure that our patients at risk for sexually transmitted illnesses or yes. for hepatitis B. We want to be sure that our patients who are travelers and are going to exotic places are immunized for typhoid and hepatitis A and so on, the list, the list, and of course, pneumococcal vaccine um, for everybody over 65 and for those with pulmonary illness or diabetes even before 65, all of those are important. It sounds perhaps like a daunting list, but um, as you well know, Marianne, with a good electronic medical record and an organized system for logging in the data, it's all doable. Exactly, and that's what I tell my patients. Let me do the worrying for you. Let me keep track. You just come and let me be. Uh, I always tell my patients I'm 49% their doctor and 51% their mother. And on that note, let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Jack Endy. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And in our final segment with Jack, Dr. Jack Andy from Penn Medicine, I know the advice you give patients, Jack, is to bring a list and uh, have your list of questions, especially your list of medications. But it's also important for you to advise your patient on um, so many issues that you'll talk about. Yes, uh, um, that's one of the real important functions for the internist and family physician and anybody who's engaged in doing the annual checkup. It's about the only time, Marianne, where you have time allotted just for this. So here we are, we've completed the history, the physical, the laboratory studies have been ordered, the immunizations have been checked, and now it's important for the physician to provide advice, um, prompted by the questions from the patient, hopefully, but physicians should not be shy about talking to their patients about smoking nor talking to the patients about alcohol excess, about silly behaviors like driving without seat belts, about um, issues pertaining to violence and, and safety at home, diet, um, my gosh, obesity, what an epidemic in our c country. Uh, this is the time when you could really provide, if not full dietary counseling, at least bring the subject up. Yes. If, if the patient is interested in learning more and spending more time on diet, nutrition, exercise, and the like. Oh, exercise. Even if people learn the one pearl that exercise, even if you don't drop weight, <clears throat> can improve your blood sugars, especially if you're diabetic. Things like that, that if people hear, they're more engaged. And Jack, of course, several times we've referred to the importance of physician-patient relationship. In our final minute, Tell us about that. Well, Marianne, I think that's what the whole annual exam is like. I think that's what primary care is like. Consider the alternative. The alternative is you have no doctor. You haven't seen any doctor for years. You develop an acute problem like a patient of mine did last night at 3 a.m. She has nobody to call. Or if she goes to the emergency room, they have nobody to call. Mm -hmm. The alternative is going to a walk-in clinic. And... For those of us who've spent our careers taking care of patients with an attention towards continuity, that's hardly 
what we look for when we're advising patients to have a primary care physician and to do everything they can to maintain their health and wellness. Exactly, because, and even if uh, if I see a new patient that's transferred from elsewhere, I have to start from the beginning. And if you've already had a relationship, a patient walks in and we say, okay, I know about the, the high blood pressure's been under good control and the blood sugars, this is new, this is worrisome that, that now he or she has swollen ankles. What does that mean? And you have a general uh, gestalt of what the patient's background is like. It's so much safer and more comforting to the patient and to you, uh, you know, keeping all those issues aligned. Well, I'd like to give you a very special thank you, Dr. Jack Endy from Penn Medicine. We've learned so much from talking to you and listening to you, and I hope our patients and listeners uh, take heed and um, really take care of themselves a little better because of your wisdom. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Marianne. Wonderful to be with you. Now for your real champion, Maura McCarthy. I call this segment Goldilocks and the Four Ponytails. <laughs> they say that beauty's only skin deep, but when you're a nine-year-old girl, your hair's pretty important. Your hairstyle can make you feel pretty, can make a statement, or be a way to fit in. And for a very sweet girl named Maura McCarthy, her hair took on a different meaning. She wanted to grow her hair long enough so she could cut off 10 inches and donate it to make some other girl feel pretty or some boy feel handsome. Her hair was sent to a charity organization that makes wigs for children. For more than a year, Maura patiently waited for her tresses to flow. Maura had her hair cut at Shine Salon in Springfield. Shop owner Dawn DiGiacomo had never met Maura before that day, but word had spread that Dawn had helped many other clients donate their hair and was familiar with the process. It involved separating clusters of hair into four distinct ponytails, cutting them close to the head while leaving the donor's hair long enough to be an appropriate length. Now, don't think Maura sat in front of the mirror and watched the grass grow when she's not in class as a fourth grader at St. Francis of Assisi School in Springfield, Pennsylvania, or doing homework. She enjoys rollerblading, playing at the beach in the summer, and she loves to read. But at her young age, she already feels the draw to service. She and her classmates make ponchos for people with disabilities. Rather than wearing a bib, a poncho is made from an adult-sized t-shirt with a favorite slogan or character with terry cloth at the base. The person wearing the poncho can enjoy a meal in a neater style and make a statement with their cool t-shirt. And throughout the year, Maura and her friends also collect toys from needy child care centers in Delaware County. This past December, Maura and her classmates stood on street corners selling handmade Christmas pins, which they created and decorated. It was cold and it was hard work, but they played Christmas music, made beautiful posters, and made it fun. Their Christmas spirit was contagious and convinced passersby to donate $500. The girls used the money to adopt needy families and donate gifts of warmth, and they also gave some of the money to an animal shelter. Maura had the haircut during Christmas break, and when she returned to school, she was overwhelmed by the love and support of her friends and teachers who told her how pretty she looked. So, one person can make a difference, even at the young age of nine. 
Talk to her mother, Emily, for two minutes, and you'll quickly understand who influenced Mara to be so sweet and thoughtful. In fact, some years ago, Emily donated her own hair to charity, too. But there's more to this story. The trickle-down effect. The owner of Shine, Dawn DiGiacomo, packaged the donated hair and paid for the postage as her way of contributing. And during Mora's haircut, there was a man sitting for his haircut a few chairs away. As he was leaving, he quietly left a $20 bill at the desk for Mora to buy herself a treat. The gentleman is a policeman, and he was congratulating Mora for her generosity and kindness. And when she learned of his gesture, the salon owner cried. She was especially impressed that the policeman didn't want any attention and left the gift anonymously. Once again, we learned that kindness is contagious. Prior to the big moment, her mom asked Mora, Are you nervous? Will you miss your hair? Mora replied, Mom, it's just hair. And therein lies the beauty of this story. This young girl felt more joy in sharing her happiness with other kids who needed help than focusing on herself. We salute you, Mora McCarthy. You're a real champion. Tune in next week when our special guest will be Dr. Peter Biddy from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Learn the history of osteopathic medicine and the beauty of their additional care, which is osteopathic manipulative medicine. Listen to all our shows on yourradiodoctor.net. Send us the story of a champion from your family, workplace, or community to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Read my monthly articles in the online newspaper, Philly Voice. Now, make a list of all those wellness checkups you're planning while you listen to the sounds of Sinatra. Join us again tonight here on WPHT for Women to Watch at 6 p.m. and hear the Health Watch segment. And always remember that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.